I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Robbie weekly. Little reverse pass. And Hello, everybody, and welcome to Friday's episode of the 42 Rugby Weekly. We are only a week away from Ireland's kickoff in the Six Nations in Marseille. We're going to look ahead to the tournament for Ireland, that particular fixture as well. We're going to chat a little bit about the future in France of an Englishman, Owen Farrell, who is departing Saracens in the summer, and anything else that comes up in between with Kieran Kennedy. Great to see you, Kieran. There was serious concern on behalf of our listeners as to your welfare when you were trapped in Birmingham for what seemed like 78 hours last weekend, people started calling you the Birmingham one and calling for your release. Uh, how are you getting on? It's great to see you. Yeah, I'm good. I survived. Um, it was an experience. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> nine hours on a plane in Birmingham airport. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of time to kind of go nowhere. Um, we flew to Dublin, couldn't land, kind of had to circle for a bit. And then we were stuck in the runway for for about four hours when we got back. So um, it was an experience. Uh, it was testing at times, but the uh, I think the biggest challenge was probably when I finally got back, got off the plane, got into a hotel, um, was told the kitchen was closed and just went, Jesus Christ, and, and went up to the bar and ordered a pint and was told it was last orders. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, that sounds about right. Um, but no, yeah, it was um, it was a... It was a it was a long day, but um, good weekend. Otherwise, apart from that, you kind of have to remember that the, uh, like the game on Saturday, Leinster Leicester was quite entertaining. I thought, and I I love going to Welford Road. It's a great place to watch games. Um, so Saturday was really good. I'm trying to remember that more than <laughs> focus on, uh, nearly going mad on Sunday. But um, so yeah, all good. You look great, Kieran. You sound shook now. If you don't mind my saying, I'm wondering if you wind up getting that Leinster Leicester. Last 16 tie in Dublin, are you liable to get PTSD? How are you fixed? I think I've already got onto the lads being like, I'm not doing Leinster again this season. <laughs> I've had my fill. I've had enough. The only, the only time where I genuinely thought uh, this, this isn't going to uh, end well for me on Sunday was kind of between hours seven and eight when it became very, very clear that I wasn't getting off this plane anytime soon. And uh, thankfully, that was when word I got back to Dublin that I was stuck and yourself and Murray sent on a couple of messages but just kept me sane for the last for the home stretch um but yeah I think I think uh, Leinster Leicester is going to be Murray's problem when we have to think about Champions Cup again in April one fellow who will aim to leave England on schedule in the summer is Owen Far- Farrell Kieran, and I just wanted to ask you your thoughts on that move to begin with in a general sense it had been signposted for a while there had been reports in the English media Rassen came out and flat out denied it and then, as tends to be the case, 10 or 12 days later, the move was all wrapped up. He's going to be playing for Stuart Lancaster in the top 14. He won't be available to play for England in that time. He had decided, obviously, to step away from Test Rugby for an indefinite period anyway. Does it feel like a, just an exciting move for Farrell? And is it potentially a game-changing move for Rassing, do you think, where at the moment you add Antoine Gibert and Tristan Tedder as their 10s? Yeah, I think it is, because... Like, he's still at the top of his game. Do you know, he's 32, but you'd imagine he'd have been in England starting out half in the Six Nations if he hadn't stepped away. And I know he does divide opinion sometimes, but, like, he's still a world-class 10, and there's not too many of them around. I think he can be sometimes kind of unfairly portrayed as well. Obviously, his tackling technique has been an issue over the years, and he's played in England teams that 
kick a lot. So he can be kind of viewed as this abrasive, almost one-dimensional 10. But I think his skill set is underappreciated. Like his handling skills are superb. He's got a really smart kicking game too. So I'm really interested to see how he fits into this new Stuart Lancaster version of Racing. Like we, we all know what Lancaster did with Leinster's attack and they're one of the most exciting attacking teams around when he was there. He isn't afraid to let his 10s play and Racing fans want to be entertained, which is another kind of interesting part of it all. I think it's a different club and a different feel to Sarri's. The obvious concern with any player who moves to France is how attritional the league is, but I was looking at this during the week and like Farrell, he's he's a robust player. He's already, this season he's already played 15 games with England and Saris and he's played the full 80 all bar once. And then last season he played 26 games all season, averaged 76 minutes per game. So in that sense, he looks like he'd be suited to the physical demands of top 14 rugby. So yeah, I I think it will, and I, I hope it reinvigorates Farrell actually because I can see him thriving there and I hope he can go over and enjoy his rugby and play with a bit of a weight off his shoulders really because like clearly he felt he had to get out of England and that's horrible for any athlete really the circumstances around his his exit has been a terrible look for the sport it's been kind of uncomfortable watching what's been going on over the last whatever nine months or so you think back to even the Andy Farrell press conference during the summer where do you remember he said, you know, you should interview Owen's mother and see the effect it takes. Um, this was after the high tack against Wales, obviously. Then you had the booing in the World Cup, the online abuse. Like, kind of, who'd, who'd blame him for leaving? I've, I've always enjoyed watching Farrell play. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how he gets on with a fresh start. And, yeah, I just I kind of just hope he can enjoy his rugby again over there. You mentioned there that it's such a strenuous season and... I guess with Farrell's injury profile, he'll be confident that he can just make it through it. Like, as you uh, outlined, the minutes he's already clocked up this season and the minutes he tends to clock up every season are really high anyway. And I was trying to think of the longer-term injuries he's had. He missed the entire 2022 Six Nations, if memory serves, with an ankle injury. I think he got surgery around January time. But I think even that injury was a kind of a freak incident at the time. And... I think of other players who've been linked to France I wrote about it last week in a little Peter Romani profile as he was named Ireland captain there had been times where he was approached by Toulon twice I think in his mid-twenties and Toulouse at least once where they had offered to double even triple a salary and um, he kind of looked at the French season this is a player who at the time had had two shoulder reconstructions and had done his ACL at the 2015 World Cup and he thought I won't make it to 28-29 as a professional rugby player if I'm playing in the top 14 just because of that schedule. And yet, Farrell is the kind of player you'd imagine who, because of his own injury record and because of what he feels in himself, will think, I think I can last the distance here. And I guess the question then is, if at 33-34, he's one of the form out-halves in Europe still, which is very conceivable, does he enter the, the Lions reckoning with his dad as coach? And like, I know the Lions have, have said they're open to that. You don't have to necessarily be playing test rugby in order for uh, yourself to be selected. But do you think he could become a live option or will remain a live option then, Kira? Yeah, I think so. Like, like why wouldn't he? If he's in form, if he's going well, you know, you'd be, like, you'd be mad not to. If he's, if he's one of the best eligible 10s when the time comes around, you'd, you'd be mad not to pick him. Obviously, he'll be, he'll be 34 then. You're kind of looking at the guys who would be hoping to be kind of pushing through or kicking on below him and there will be a bit of competition there but 
the other thing with Farrell that could make him so valuable for a Lions tour is like he's such a leader and and that's definitely part of the reason Lancaster is getting him over to Racing as well Lancaster knows him so well he gave him his first England cap in 2012 um, and even just watching a few bits of the uh, the Six Nations documentary on Netflix over the last few days just watching Farrell around the squad in the dressing room the way he talks to his teammates the way he kind of galvanizes the group he's he's an interesting fella and he's a real real leader you can see the kind of Andy Farrell characteristics in him there and that's that that can be hugely valuable on on a Lions tour when you're trying to bring people from kind of different countries together in a short space of time and kind of get them all on the same page like leaders are leaders are very valuable in, in that kind of environment so I think that'd be not a, not as important as as how well he's playing, but it'll definitely come into consideration. But like you'd be you'd be mad not to consider any player who's eligible for the Lions just because they're not playing Test rugby. I think if you can show you're doing it in in a high quality league, if you can show you're do you can still do it in the Champions Cup. I think you'd have to be have to be um in the mix certainly. What have you made of full contact on Netflix so far? Ah, uh, it's I've seen people kind of slam it, but I don't think it's. I don't think it's terrible, but I also don't love it. I I kind of feel watching it that, obviously for somebody like yourself and myself, we'd love it to be more in depth. We'd love to get a better look behind the scenes, see more what's going on, the training pitch in the dressing room, that type of thing. But it's quite clearly not really for us. It's kind of for people who are relatively new to rugby or maybe don't know much about the sport. Um, that's the sense certainly I'm getting off it. And, and, and in that sense, I think it's probably interesting to to people I can imagine like there's a lot of um emphasis on obviously the kind of physicality and the contact around the sport like that stuff is a bit you know okay whatever when when you're used to covering rugby every every single week um but they've also they've done a decent job of slipping in some interesting um personal stories as well like Andrew Porter obviously comes across very well in it, it it's it's a good watch at the um watching the Italians through it. They obviously get a lot of screen time. They seem to have given Netflix a bit more access maybe than than the likes of Ireland. But um watching Kieran Crowley kind of his frustration with the team and, and the pressure and toll it takes is, is interesting to watch as well. You kind of get a little bit of a glimpse more of a glimpse behind the curtain there. So yeah, I've actually I just finished it last night. I kinda of watched it over the two or three nights or whatever and yeah, I didn't didn't love it. I wouldn't be maybe recommending it to somebody who was big into their sports documentaries. But if you didn't know a huge amount about rugby, I can I can see the appeal of it, and I can imagine it would be a decent watch. What about yourself? I was hugely underwhelmed by it, to be honest with you. Yeah, I I, I understand what people are saying when they say that it's not necessarily for you or me or for listeners of this podcast. And I'm sure there are listeners of this podcast, by the way, who found it entertaining and like. Of course, it's subjective as well. To me, it's a bit of a glorified highlights package and I don't know if it goes into enough depth with the characters and maybe there is a lack of characters as well across the, the competition mm. to really convert people. You know, I, I don't, I'm not sure a highlights package is quite enough to do what Drive to Survive did, for example. And I would say that, or I would ask the question, why couldn't it have been for everybody? Why couldn't it have been for us as well? You know, do a little bit of both. Because if you look at a series, say, like quarterback on Netflix, the NFL one, where it follows like Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, Marcus Mariota in, in season one, I think it's a really interest, interesting insight into their lives. And like they're, you know, they give actual 
I know absolutely Andrew Porter did, Ellis Genge did, and, and a couple more, but I felt like they lifted the bonnet far more in the NFL in that series. And if I hadn't already been an NFL fan, I absolutely would have followed those guys. And um, But I think actually you've you've hit on a critical point, which is that the producers, everybody involved in it from, say, this side of the camera were hamstrung by the fact that this deal was done with the Six Nations as a competition and not with the unions individually. So the unions turned their noses up at it straight away. I was really disappointed with Ireland's output, if for want of a better word, in it, aside from Porter. And I remember even hearing at the time quite directly that the people with cameras and producers, directors, etc., who were on the ground with Ireland were really struggling with it. I think that's so disappointing. I just... Look, we've said it on the podcast loads of times. I, I, I've never really understood this um, this urge to keep things completely behind a, an iron curtain, so to speak. Um, there are plenty of sports people around the world who have done like huge interviews days before finals and won those finals. So I, I've never understood why there has to be such a kind of a lack of transparency or there's a kind of a fear of engaging with that kind of thing. But look, it's season one. If there's a season two, maybe the players, the unions, whoever makes those decisions will have looked at it and thought, you know, that wasn't so bad. Maybe we can open up a little bit more next year, particularly this year when it's an experimental year in the Six Nations anyway for most countries, right? There's a, I was going to say there's less pressure. It probably doesn't feel that way, but less expectation maybe from respective fan bases. Just before we move on from uh, Saris, I know we kind of have already, but just to actually chat about the prospective replacements here on for Farrell. Um, I had Paolo Garabisi in my head, but it looks like he's heading to Toulon. And in that case, then you have... Like another option might have been Thomas Albernoz at Benetton, but if Garavisi's leaving, you'd imagine they're going to move mountains to keep Albernoz. Finn Smith, <laughs> you know, it'd be a bit of a controversial one in England, you'd imagine. Um, any names off the top of your head that they might look at? Because you are filling a massive void, not only as an out half, but as a leader as well. You probably want somebody who has scope to become that leader, at least in time. Yeah, I think it's... I think it's really difficult actually to call <laughs> like I Garbisi would have been one that I had in my mind as well and even you know he's shown a, obviously some leadership qualities with Italy you would think and he can play a bit of 12 as well so he even c- covers that part of Farrell's versatility but like you say doesn't sound like that one's gonna gonna come through Finn Smith would be an attractive option you'd imagine he's he's English he's only 21 so he's a really bright prospect and you could potentially get him at a time where you can kind of form him into the player you want him to be and, and, and let him kind of lead things from a young age. But at the same time, Northampton isn't the worst place in the world to be at the moment. They're, they're flying high in the Premiership. Big win at Thomond Park, obviously, recently. So maybe he'd be a more attainable option if Northampton were on the slide. Like, I, I don't know is the honest answer. And it's going to be really interesting to see who they end up with. Because again, like we said at the top of the show, there's not many world-class tens around. Um, sounds like Ohio West will be leaving La Rochelle potentially I wonder would he be an option just with a decent Champions Cup CV um, but yeah I've seen all sorts mentioned I've seen I've seen Ross Byrne mentioned I, I'd, I'd be amazed if that happened I've seen Paddy Jackson mentioned uh, I, I don't know Caleb Munts would be a fun option if you could tempt him up to Europe because uh, he just he's a player I love watching I'd like to see him come up to this side of the world and get to see him a bit more often but um, he's. It's going to be really difficult to play to replace Farrell, and there's not many options around. Like every 
there's about nine or ten out halves in the Premiership alone who've been linked with Saracens in the last couple of days. So I, I've no idea what way they're going to go. But it's going to be really interesting to see how it all ends up. That's the thing, as you mentioned as well, with somebody like Finn Smith, is you can't just swoop in and take the player. Mm. And we don't talk about transfer fees in rugby that often, but I mean, there would have been, by all accounts, half a million quid exchange in this Farrell deal to begin with. So if you're going to go after a Smith, you're going to have to throw that half a mil probably in Northampton's direction. And that's the only way you're going to prize away a talent like him who is in contract. Uh, Kerwin Bosch, maybe another one I, I'd written down, just who knows. I mean, like, yeah, it'd be a bit of a wild card one, but as you say, the options aren't exactly bountiful. We'll see how all of that plays out. In the meantime, you are going to be heading to Portugal uh, for Ireland's training camp. They're going to be, over, well, they're there at the moment. They're going to be preparing for France in Marseille, in the Algarve. How does that work, actually, Kiron, as a journalist, when you're over there at a training camp for the week? Like, what is your role? How much time are you getting with the players, etc.? Yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit different to the general kind of Six Nations media week, um, largely because it's 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 different for the players as well. Like Andy Farrell, obviously, has always put a big emphasis on making sure the players enjoy their time in camp. And a week in Portugal ahead of the Six Nations is is a big part of that. Warmer weather, obviously, it preps you a bit for the travel and the different conditions they're going to encounter. They get to spend time at this top-class facility. And even that change of scenery alone, I think, is welcome, given how much time they'll be spending at the HPC out in Abbottstown over the next two months. Um, But they get a bit more downtime too, or at least they get to spend their downtime differently. So they get to do things you can't really do at home at this time of year. Um, It's a bit warmer there, so... They get down to the beach, as has been well documented on the IRFU's socials over the last few days. Um, you can potentially get out and play around a golf and not have to worry about getting blown away. Um, so I think it just helps flick the switch as well that, you know, things are ramping up and they're heading into a big Six Nations week again. So, yeah, they do they do a couple of days with the media, um, but not every day out there. So some of us maybe get a chance to go for a dip at some stage as well. Um but even then, it's a, it is a little bit more relaxed. You're kind of not in a big press conference room with TV cameras pointing at you. Some of it is just kind of chats in this kind of nice resort that they're staying in, sitting outside. Um, it's a little bit more relaxed. It's a little bit more informal, which obviously all helps in terms of good interviews and good conversation. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm staying in a big kind of golf resort that had plenty of availability when I booked it. So I'm kind of half expecting to have the run of the place to myself and um, it'll be a nice change of pace before the chaos of Marseille because we head to Marseille then on Wednesday and I was there for half a day again recently just on the way home from the Munster-Toulon game and it's just like it's it's fairly full on in that city so it's going to be two very different vibes between Portugal and Marseille next week and yeah just really looking forward to it and getting over um, and I'm actually due to move house the day after I get back from Marseille so the timing's not great um, so I have a couple of bags of clothes here, bits packed up for the move, and then there's a big suitcase for Portugal. So um, I just have to make sure I don't bring the wrong one to the airport and end up heading to press conference in my gym gear in a three-piece suit or something, but um, I think we'll manage it. So it's a jolly up, really, is what we're saying. It's your equivalent of political correspondence going over to New York as Leo Varadkar gives Joe Biden a bowl of shamrock or whatever. Kind of an excuse, really, to escape, is it? Yeah, I was trying to make it sound like hard work. I'm definitely going, there's a pool in the resort. I'm definitely going there. The beach is 20 minute walk away. Um, there's a really good Indian restaurant, I believe, that's already been booked or sorted. So um, get the work done in the morning, get out and try, uh, try do something for this pale Irish skin in the evening. Um, <laughs> but it's only, it's only two or three days, you know, so 
it gets full on then from the end of the week. Once you're in, once you're in Marseille, you're, we're like the players, we're in game mode then, you know, it's all go then. Magic. What do you think Ireland will actually be most preparing or, or most closely preparing ahead of Marseille? What would be their primary aims of focus to your mind? Yeah, um, well, set piece, I'd imagine. Do you know, going away to France, yeah, obviously you need your scrum and then the line-out was, was a concern at the World Cup. That was the kind of one obvious area, obviously, that was causing problems, wasn't it? So so you want to see that improve. And also then, I think just moving on from the World Cup is is a big part of it. Like, Johnny Sexton's not there now and, and that's hugely significant regardless of how well Jack Crowley's been going or how Jack Crowley well Jack Crowley plays over the next couple of weeks like Sexton was the key man in that Ireland team right up until his last game he was the focal point he was the fella that was the driving force throughout the week and that's gone now so that's a big change so others need to step in and take on more leadership and that's probably one of the big things Farrell will be watching behind the scenes that we don't see who's who's stepping up to help drive the week who are the guys others are looking to now in terms of kind of standards and leadership Ireland aren't one of those teams that have gone and lost six or seven players after the World Cup, but they have lost the most influential member of their squad. So I'm kind of just really interested to see how that plays out because like, it, it just can't be business as usual when you lose someone who was that central to the whole operation. So yeah, I think just a general kind of finding some sort of consistency and just moving on from the World Cup and not having the wheels fall off completely will be will be a big aim. Just kind of getting back into things, getting settled again. Um, and then obviously you have to turn up at a big performance straight away, like France away, what a start. Lineup will be a key area, as you say. There have been plenty of calls, including on our own Rugby Weekly Extra podcast from Bernard Jackman for Joe McCarthy to start at lock. My question, my question's plural to you, Kieran, are do you agree with Mr. Jackman's assertion that McCarthy should start? And if so, who would you start him over? Because it would mean having to drop James Ryan or Tyke Byrne. And I say James Ryan, in reality, Ian Henderson started over James Ryan the last time both of those players were available for Ireland. So what are your thoughts on second row in general, maybe, is a better question. Yeah, I obviously listened to yourself and Birch chat about this on Monday and I knew you were going to ask me it again today and I still wasn't sure what my what my answer was going to be. I'm... I'm leaning towards yes on McCarthy. I think you look at his form over the last few weeks and what he's doing on the pitch, it's just becoming increasingly difficult to reason why you wouldn't pick him. The Like everything you guys said on Monday, the physicality he's bringing and the way he carries himself, just his, his type of game looks perfectly suited to playing France away from home. And it's not just that he's physical, he's also confrontational. He's going looking for it. He's, he brings that aggressive edge that we just don't naturally see in Irish players. And a few weeks ago, I'd have probably said he's still a bit raw or still capable of the odd silly penalty. But I don't know, with every passing week, he just looks increasingly more like the real deal. Um, and yeah, if it's not France next weekend, it's only a matter of time really before he's a focal point in this Ireland pack. But yeah, I'd probably start him in Marseille and maybe alongside Byrne. Um, James Ryan, like he's actually having, like he's having a decent season. He was really good, I thought, in, in Leicester last weekend and he was outstanding in La Rochelle if you go back to that December game. But I just wonder, you know, he like he, he, he lost his place for that Scotland game during the World Cup, even though he was carrying a little bit of a knock. And then the captaincy thing, like previously Andy Farrell has, has named Ryan as his captain when Peter O'Mahony has been in the team. As recently as the warm-up game against England in the summer, 
I, I just wonder, does Omani getting the captaincy indicate that Ryan maybe isn't nailed on to start now? And then with Byrne, I just think, you know, he's just turned up with big games so often for Ireland. He's a turnover machine. He gives energy to guys around him as well. And he's just somebody I'd like to have in the team. And look, there's ways, there's ways of getting the boat in. Maybe McCarthy and Ryan are in the second row and the back row you have Doris at eight. Omani can start ahead of Josh van der Fleer at seven and then play Byrne at six. So Farrell has options and there's a number of ways he could go, but McCarthy has certainly done everything he could to put himself in the conversation. I think it's, I think it would be difficult to leave him out at this stage. The answer to this question may well be no, but has anyone else played their way into contention for the match day 23 that hasn't been earmarked long in advance of this game? I don't think so. Um, looking at the squad, the, the Mac Hansen spot on the wing is the big one, isn't it? And it's, it's probably going to be Calvin Ash, but I wouldn't be surprised if Farrell went with Gary Ringrose on the wing just to have that experienced head there. Otherwise, no one has, has really jumped out. Like Ryan Baird has played some great stuff, but I'd, I'd be surprised if he starts in France. Um, and I was going to say it'll be a reasonably settled team for, for that first opening game in, in Marseille, but you're going to have at least two very significant changes in whoever takes... Hansen's place in the wing and then Jack Crowley, we presume, starting at 10, which is huge. His first Six Nations start and, and the start of the post-Johnny Sexton era. So I think that's enough change for France away. And then you're maybe looking at McCarthy starting too. Um, like Andy Farrell's not going to be gutting this team and, and he doesn't need to. But I think if you have those couple of changes, like that's enough. And then you're just hoping everybody else hits the ground running. France, in the meantime, will be out. Thibaut Flamand, Emmanuel Mayafu. Anthony Gelange, Antoine Dupont, Roman Entemach, and they open as three-point favourites against Ireland at the Stade Velodrome. Should they be three-point favourites, to your mind? Yeah, I think so. It's 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 still France away. Like they still have a, a lot of talent, you know. At the, at the same time, what an opportunity for Ireland because those guys are missing. And and I'd imagine that's the way Farrell is maybe framing it to the players. Like you go and you win away to France. It's just an ideal way to properly move on from the World Cup. And I know Farrell has said he's over it, but some of the players aren't. Um, going back to France and winning there, at the moment, that's the toughest game in the Six Nations. Um, and we saw it in the World Cup. Like, the French supporters, they generate such an atmosphere. It can be intimidating. Like, I remember Sexton saying himself, even he was struck by the noise in Paris when they first went there after after COVID. And, like, Marseille is going to be rocking next Friday. Um it's an incredible stadium. It's huge, but it also feels kind of tight in places because it's got this big kind of enclosed roof hanging over it. Um, so yeah, like France, they're missing, well, a lot of superstars really, but they still have so many threats, so much talent. Like they've such an impressive depth of quality throughout their squad. Like I think Ireland can win next week, but even this weakened French team are, are pretty formidable. Just running through the toughest away trips in international rugby in my head there. And you would say South Africa at altitude, France away, even though South Africa just recently did that, which kind of punctures the aura of invincibility of France at home to a degree. Um, Eden Park, obviously. And then, I mean, the Aviva's up there as well, for some reason. Like, as in, it's not probably the most intimidating of stadiums to visit or atmospheres into which to, to face, but Ireland are unbeaten there for a long time. But maybe just the fact that South Africa did beat France, and I know it's in Paris, you know, those French players are still going to be reeling from that as well. We're probably looking at it through an Irish lens, understandably, and how much that will have affected the players to have had their World Cup end prematurely as they would have seen it. But France are in the exact same boat. And as you mentioned, it's a, it's a relatively settled Ireland team. 
France team might feel a little bit less settled by the time they take to the field at Marseille. Different city, different stadium. I don't know, maybe, maybe uh, it, I'm clutching his straws, but maybe it's an opportunity to catch them on the hop to some extent. Yeah, it is an opportunity for all those reasons. Absolutely. And like, like you say, you know, Andy Farrell's not gutting this Ireland team, but, but France are kind of gutting theirs to a degree. True, true, um, not by choice, but true, you know, injury and, and this sevens thing that's taken away DuPont and a couple of others. Um, and it, it, there's a bit of a, a novelty factor to this game, even in the sense that it is in Marseille, Friday night opener, everything's just a little bit different. Um, not your traditional France away weekend, but yeah, Ireland will definitely see it as an opportunity. And like they know they like they know they can beat France. Do you know they've they've done it before, they've they've won in France before. Um I don't think I certainly don't think they'll like lack confidence or be phased by the occasion or anything like that. I think they'll be going there like full guns blazing, thinking this is a chance to really start the post World Cup this post World Cup cycle with with the kind of statement win. Um and being the first game we don't know how either of these teams are going to turn up. We don't know what Ireland are going to look like, how they're going to show up. We don't know what France is going to look like. And and their World Cup quarterfinal defeat will have been even more difficult to take than Ireland's, I think, because they were they were the home team and, you know, they had all this momentum. They had this huge home support right behind them across the country. And I was there in Paris that night when, when South Africa beat France and it was just, it felt like the World Cup ended almost. You know, the, the deflation at full time, um, was just something else, and uh, yeah, those players were were rocked by it. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they show up as well. And like I say, we do focus on on the Ireland side of things, obviously a bit more. But it'll be interesting to kind of see and hear the sounds coming out of their camp next week and how they're kind of framing this game because um, I'm sure they'll be selling it as an opportunity as well to kind of get one over on Ireland as they try to move on without Sexton, without a few others, and um, yeah, it should be a cracker. Yeah, another four years under Fabian Gatti. It might feel like tough work as well. Who knows? Uh, here's your chance to start the weekend with a statement, Gear. Will Ireland do it? Will Ireland do it? Um, let's say yeah. <laughs> let's say yes. We'll go with yes. <laughs> Don't hold me to that next week now, but but let's say yeah. Yeah, purely in the interest of, of good vibes heading into the weekend. Let's say yes. Yeah. Let's say yes. All right. Magic. Great to see you. Thanks, Mitty, for that. Nice one, Gav. Thanks safe trip and hopefully better fortune on your travels this time around and thanks everyone at home as well for tuning in if you want extra podcasts during the week uh it is the 42.e forward slash extra you get access to the 42 rugby weekly extra with bernard jackman on mondays with owen Tulin on wednesdays you also get access to the entire website so visit there and make up your own mind and have a great weekend everybody at home as well we'll catch you on monday if you're a subscriber back again next Thursday I'd imagine ahead of that Six Nations kickoff if not until then take it easy put the boys in the better land you're always talking about the boys in the better land the boys in the better land